Welcome to Black Christmas. I am Sean Dillon, your host. Reverend Matt's Monster Science is a mainstay of the Twin Cities horror theater scene with his lectures on myths and monsters. Here he brings us an overview of some of the most popular monsters of the holiday season in Horrors of War on Christmas. Reverend Matt's Monster Science presents Horrors of War on Christmas, written and performed by Matt Kesson, which is to say, me. Hi, I'm Reverend Matt, and Christmas is, of course, a time of giving, of togetherness, of warmth, charity, and simple human kindness. And so, of course, it has its own assortment of misshapen, hideous monstrosities that mean us only harm. Now, this may all sound like ironic commentary, the dark underbelly of the season of brightness, but it isn't really. People make monsters about everything, in every culture, and about every topic. I mean, not as readily and instantly as they make porn about everything, but Christmas is simply too big not to have strange creatures in it. The enormity of Christmas is, incidentally, why the war on Christmas is perhaps the single most utterly idiotic idea I've ever heard in my life. Not only is Christianity extremely dominant in America, but Christmas is also a holiday celebrated by capitalists, which is to say the American economy would, in fact, collapse without Christmas. Literally no cultural force is in less danger than Christmas, and those who believe there is a war on it need to stop being such snowflakes. But I digress. Let us begin, then, with the most popular and the most monstrous of all Christmas monsters, Krampus. Krampus is, of course, an old Central European entity who has recently come into a new popularity. Where he began is harder to say. He appears to possibly be descended from ancient pagan horned god entities of great antiquity, themselves associated with ancient Greek satyrs, which were sexual harassment elementals who were part goat, because a lot of things in ancient Greek mythology were part goat, because there were a lot of goats in ancient Greece, and sometimes the human imagination kind of just takes the afternoon off. In the meantime, the Krampus's evolutionary line included the Perched, a goat man with a super long neck for a variety of important reasons, none of which I'm aware of. More recently, it has been stated that Krampus is the son of Hel, the Norse goddess of the underworld, whose face is half-scarred and monstrous after she had acid splashed in her face by Boss Moroni, ending her career as Gotham City's district attorney. Or, alternately, as Hella was goth outer space Kate Blanchett, which actually redefined my entire sexuality. Either way, Krampus's association with her is an invention of very recent modern fiction, and so lacks mythological authenticity, though it is with a heavy heart that I must inform you, authenticity-wise, that Krampus is actually fictional in the first place anyway. By the 17th century, Krampus was paired with Saint Nicholas as a specifically Christmas figure. When Nicholas is present in the stories, Krampus is, of course, his shadow, his evil counterpart. At minimum, in these stories, it is Krampus who puts the coal in your stocking, the coal in your stocking being a rare case of a folkloric tale refusing to change over centuries and actually making more sense as a result. Nowadays, receiving coal for Christmas would be confusing and completely stupid, whereas over a hundred years ago, it would have been at least fuel. It would have been like receiving batteries for Christmas these days. Useful, just lame. But of course, what Krampus mainly does is everybody's favorite thing to do, menace and terrify children. 
He often carries a basket on his back to carry them off to who knows what fate, and almost always carries a switch of horsehair or more often of birch with which to just whip the crap out of children. This is all just fine, of course, because these are the naughty children. Krampus may be leering and cruel, but he is part of the system, a figure of righteous punishment. Indeed, he is to be rewarded. Much as one leaves out cookies and milk for Santa, one is encouraged to leave out schnapps for Krampus. So if you go to bed before Mom and Dad on Christmas Eve and awaken to find that some of the liquor in the house has been consumed, that's Supernatural Goatman. Krampus will often keep his birch switches in a bundle called a rutan, which is not the name of a bundle of sticks or indeed a bundle of birch sticks, but rather the name of the Krampus's bundle of birch sticks, which is of course specific. I bet the stack of forks in your cupboard doesn't have its own name, and maybe that's why Krampus is world famous and you're not. Maybe you could call the stack of forks Betty. In some parts of Austria, a rutan painted gold is displayed in the house year-round as a reminder to the children of the possibility of Krampus's grisly vengeance, and this of course explains why children in those parts of Austria are faultlessly well-behaved at all times. It is said by some that the birch, specifically, is a holdover from ancient pagan phallic symbolism, which, like the descent from satyrs, brings a sexual element to this child-punishing entity that nobody should ever think about for even a second. This does bring us, though, boy I wish it didn't, to another Krampus tradition, that of dressing up as Krampus and going out in groups at night to be generally debauched. There's actually quite a lot of this sort of thing in pre-20th century Christmas celebration, group, drunken revelry, and even orgies, it is said, though I feel that historically, as in the present, orgies are something that doesn't really happen very often, but that we imagine other people are having. From 1659 to 1681, Massachusetts's Puritans banned Christmas altogether because of the threat of this sort of thing. They won the war on Christmas. It was glorious. It is thought that this all traces back to the Saturnalia, the Roman post-harvest festival when young people who no longer had anything to do just went around having a wild time. These days, the tradition is kept alive, in New York City anyway, by SantaCon, where people dress up as Santa and go around in groups getting loaded. And when I googled it, the first result was an article entitled, SantaCon Reportedly Covered NYC in Vomit Again This Year. And having lived in New York myself, let me just tell you that this report is correct. But of course, Krampus is not the only traditional Christmas horror monster. Iceland, for example, has the Yule Cat, which is a giant cat that eats you. Here, I'll tell the story again. It's a giant cat that eats you. Hemingway-esque in its economy, really. There is one very slight wrinkle to this basic thing, which is a way to ward it off, which is to give it warm clothes. Because if there's one thing that cats love, it's clothes. From Poland comes the Turon, a vaguely minotaurish figure, bull-headed, who usually manifests as a sort of puppet-slash-costume worn by a member of a group of carolers. Now, in olden days Poland, carolers would be led into houses, which seems fair and nice, and upon this happening, the Turon would start running around the house, making neighing sounds and chasing the women of the house around, because... Making women feel threatened for no reason is the Christmassiest thing of all. Then at some point, the Turon faints and, I quote a major source, then everyone tries to resuscitate it by massage, lighting hay as a kind of incense, blowing wind under its tail, pouring vodka into the muscle of the effigy, and undoing hexes. 
Turan recovers and begins to frolic again, which often announces the end of the visit. Unquote. I'll just bet it does. A lot of people dread Christmas. It has a strong association with depression and de despair and suicide, but apparently some cultures meant to give you something to cry about. It is believed, by the way, that the Turan was based on a cultural memory of the Oroch, a sort of huge, powerful, majestic, and now extinct wild cattle from which modern domestic cows were bred by selecting out all the awesomeness. The Eastern European Frau Perchta was a Christmas witch and ab human horror who would bring silver pennies to good children on Christmas. Bad children, well, bad children she would slit right open, remove their entrails, and fill their bodies with straw. Oh, you don't like your lump of coal, huh? Frau Perchta was basically Santa Claus, only with murder and body horror. It wasn't always about sexual misconduct and being outright slaughtered, though. The Mediterranean Calicat Zoroi were a kind of fairy creature, small and black and with long tails, who spent most of the year trying to saw the world tree, the tree that held up creation, down, except for the twelve days of Christmas during which they would come into your house and wreck up the place. Then, returning to the tree, they would find it entirely healed and funny on them. And not only did they get their comeuppance, and not only was their threat relatively minor, but there were things you could do about them. If you put a colander on your doorstep, the Calacant Zaroi would be compelled to stop and count the holes. But they couldn't say the number three, because that was the number of the Holy Trinity, which seems kind of strict, but I don't make the rules, and so they would have to keep starting over. You could also throw an old shoe into your fireplace, the smell of which would drive off the Calacanzaroi and presumably your loved ones as well. Speaking of whom, one was also at risk of becoming a Calacanzaros if one had the temerity, the cheek, the unmitigated gall to just go ahead and be born on one of the twelve days of Christmas. This transformation could be prevented, though, by binding the baby in tresses of garlic or straw, or by singeing the child's toenails, and I imagine figuring this out took a bit of trial and error. Anyway, all this sort of mythologizing of the aforementioned post-Saturnalia Christmas public ragers, the Calicant Zoroi covering their cities with vomit year after year, is a thing to be expected. An altogether more gentle sort of Christmas fairy is the Nordic Nissa, or Tomta. For most of the year, these gnome-like entities would live in barns and help out with farm work surreptitiously, in exchange for which they asked that people on the farm didn't swear or urinate where they weren't supposed to. And you know what, Tomta? You've got a deal. At Christmas, though, the Tomta would go around in a sleigh pulled by reindeer, albeit reindeer that couldn't fly, so yawn, snorefest, and knock on people's front doors and hand presents directly to their children, which lacks the magic and mystery of the stockings and the chimneys, but if you want to complain to the supernatural creature giving you free stuff, be my guest. In exchange, Tomtas liked porridge with a pat of butter on top. In one story, uh, the farmer that Anissa lived with put the butter underneath the porridge. Not seeing the butter immediately, the Nissa did what any one of us would do, which was fly into a blind rage and kill the farmer's cow. He then ate the porridge anyway, and finding the butter to be there after all, he was filled with remorse, and so went and stole a neighbor's nearly identical cow to replace his farmer's cow with. 
It's a heartwarming Christmas tale of uncontrollable fury and barnyard animal theft, and I don't know why there aren't a hundred Hallmark Channel movies about it already. And it also teaches a valuable lesson, as so many of these stories do, about really God knows what. The Dead North Podcast and Blight Christmas are a production of Oncoming Productions, with assistance from Hot Chocolate Media. I have been your host, Sean Dillon, and intro and outro music are by Eric Ostrom. The copyrights for all pieces are held by their creators. If you would like to support the artists who've created this work, we'd love your support. There's a link to our PayPal fund in the show notes. We all wish you a very happy holiday season with just enough chills to make you appreciate the warmth of home, friends, and family. Stay safe out there. <laughs>